Hello and welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man thinks. Please enjoy this teaching and if you want more, visit the website at halesowenapostolicchurch.org. So I want to start today uh, with um, a look on Psalms and God's really kind of uh, given us similar messages um, and he's trying to get a point across, I can see that. Psalm 127, unless the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Psalm 127. Is your life a burden to you? Is your life a burden to you? That's one of two psalms written by King Solomon. One of two. The others, do anyone know what the other one is? This is, uh, I'm stealing the Bible quiz, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and 127 were written by King Solomon. We remember King Solomon. I'm sure we, we're all aware that this guy had everything at his disposal. He seemed to amass the world's gold, silver, bronze. He had probably more sheep and cattle. That was kind of the currency of the day than anyone. Arguably one of the richest people in history. And he had the chance to do whatever he wanted. And he did. We read about it in Ecclesiastes, where he is talking about his life and his experiences. And at the end of his life, what he says the purpose of life is. There was nothing that the world held back from him, and he explored it all. And eventually, and it says eventually, he found no pleasure in these. <laughs> there is pleasure for a season in everything. But eventually he, th he found no pleasure. We spend our lives striving for these things that he explores. Maybe to a slightly lesser extent. <laughs> but we spend our lives trying to get more money. Trying to do things that you know, Solomon did all those years ago. And ultimately, he tells us not to waste our time. Not to waste our time on these things. Lest we realise we're too old and we cannot then muster the will to accept God into our lives. And he says this, and this is one of my favourite quotes from the Bible. I just love the, like, the translate, I can imagine what the original language was, but the way they translate this. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come. This is why Jesus, in Matthew 18, 2, called a little child to him and set him amongst the people he was talking to and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest 
in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Yet at this end he declared it's all vanity without God. There is deadness without the presence of the Lord. The pride of life strengthens and grows to the point where people are unable to open their hearts, certainly, or soften their hearts or open their minds to accept something, a different worldview to what they've had all their lives. We can see that living itself out in the world today. The pride of life. So this scripture, Psalm 129, usually... Those who get up early tend to go to bed late, early, don't they? And those who stay up late tend to go get up late. But there are those on the world that do both. <laughs> they get up early and go to bed late and want their sleep to pay for their cares. And they have little comfort. They have little comfort in the simple things of life because they're too tired to appreciate the, those, those gifts of God. And they eat that bread of sorrow. They go through life from one disaster to the next, from one problem to the next, without taking the time to do what God said, because they don't have the time. That's the bread of sorrows. We cannot change the fact that God told us we shall eat in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till till you return to the till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return so we have to work for our food and in galatians 6 7 don't be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap what are you sowing in your life are you sowing Worldly benefit, or are you sowing eternal benefit? There's loads. When I started looking at this, there's so much on reaping and sowing in the Bible, more than I do. Um, I count about 28 really good scriptures from throughout the entire Bible about reaping and sowing. It's a really important principle in our lives. You reap what you sow. A few things to read on. That cover that, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 20, Hosea 8, 17, 2 Kings 19, 29, Job 45, 8. I haven't got time to go into all those, worth a read, especially one from Job. But <clears throat> we fast forward into Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is a man which built his house, which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the steam stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it. For it was founded upon that rock. So that's man doing the work. That's man creating that foundation in God. It's not God just providing the foundation, this lovely house made out of rock. We have to work in it. But he that hears and does not do is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat and immediately it fell. 
when some problem comes along, something that you don't like in the scripture, whatever it might be. And the ruin of that house was great. So we've got to work, we've got to build our foundation. This is something that part of this message has given me, is that we do what we can, God does the rest. But we've got to do what we can first. We've got to work and do the right things, otherwise we work in vain. So what is that firm foundation? Again, there's loads of scripture on the firm foundation of a relationship with God. But this one came to mind in 1 Timothy 6, 17. And Timothy's great. The end of that is so powerful. Charge them that are rich in the world, that they not be high-minded, but trust, or, or nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing, this is an interesting one, willing to communicate, willing to speak to each other, not holding back, not taking from the water, turning our back and building our own little empire. We all come together, this is brilliant. This is church, isn't it? Willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. There will be difficulties. We all know that. We've preached about that. We've learned that in the Word. But so that they may hold on to eternal life. That's the whole point of the foundation. We build that foundation. We study the Word. We pray to God. We communicate with each other, with our problems, with the good things, with our testimonies. And that foundation is for each one of us, so that we increase our chances of holding on to that eternal life. And we do what we hear. We don't just communicate and go back vainly into, into the world and do what the world says. Just be reading Jeremiah. If, if anyone's with Jeremiah, poor chap, I think he's called the weeping prophet. And the first thing God told him to do was uh, get someone to bring together all the scripture of the day, all the word of God, to, to document what they had then, because they've fallen so far, the Israelites have fallen so far away from God. They've broken the, um, I forget the word, but the, the, the deal, the covenant, that's the, the covenant with God. And the first thing, the first preach that Jeremiah did, he went to the synagogue and God told him, you've got to preach repentance, strange that, and you've got, to, you've got to preach judgment. So what were the people doing outside of the temple? They were worshipping other gods. They had their idols literally outside the temple. There was child sacrifice outside the temple. Then they'd come into the temple and worship God. To a lesser extent, that sounds like some of the church life being to. Yep, there's no life there. And Jeremiah had to preach that. And that's wrong. That's totally wrong. God wants your heart. He wants your whole heart. He doesn't want just words. He doesn't want the vanity of life. He wants all of life. <laughs> and the people didn't like that message. You can imagine they wanted to go back to their lives. They didn't want to change those things in their lives that they might find difficult or comfortable in their lives. So Jeremiah had a really real challenge with God to create that firm foundation. 
And ultimately, he failed. If you look at the end, it's a really depressing end. Yeah? He got carted out of the city. They, they, I think they sent, sent, sent him to Egypt. So they could carry on, not listening to God, and doing what they wanted to do. <coughs> Does that make any sense in life? Does life without God make any sense? Hmm. So th there's evidence all around us and throughout the Bible for the, the, the good things, the, the good reasons to have a to, to have a life based on scripture, based on a relationship with God, based on all the good things that God has with us, by putting God first and living our life through that. Receiving the Holy Spirit. There's proof. If you think about history, there is evidence that the Spirit lives forever. So you see these kingdoms rise and fall, massively powerful kingdoms. They might last hundreds of years. Empires rising and falling. But there's one continuous theme, the remnant of God. And what's that? It's not the remnant, it's the Spirit of God flowing through time. That never dies. Even today, we have the same Spirit that Jeremiah had back then. That God breathed into Adam right at the start. Wow! It's the only thing you can't kill. That's why eternity is so important. I've, I must have mentioned this. Think of the biggest number you can think of. Like my, my daughter loves a Googleplex. Obviously, everyone loves Google. One with a million zeros after it. So, biggest number? Googleplex to the power of Googleplex. That's a big number. And you are still closer to zero than you are to infinity. Incredible. And if it, what's the difference between infinity and eternity? Same thing. Massive. Surely that outweighs sin, the temptation, the lust of sin in our lives. Working and building the things that will perish when we have the chance to invest in our eternal life doesn't make any sense. Surely it makes more sense to do the things that are going to last forever first and then everything else after. Because we do have to do stuff, don't get me wrong, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. What does that mean? We do stuff that is not of the world first, and then we do the things that are in the world second. We have to eat. We have to earn money. We have to clean the hands. We have to do all these things. But when they come before God, it's the equivalent of the, the Israelites doing one thing outside of the temple and doing another inside it. Throughout the Bible, throughout human history, you can see... Um, the, the loss of faith always precedes destruction, in one way or another. And that destruction could take a while to kick in, but you see the seeds of the destruction of these empires, of these peoples, of these families, in that loss of faith initially. When David sought God and did what God told him to do, he was very successful. When David fell away from God and did the opposite of that, he wasn't very successful. Yeah, the Old Testament is there for us to learn. It's pretty straightforward that. Now, 
Um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin. The more I look into him, the more interested he is. And I just want to read something that he said as they're creating, they were, they're, uh, I think this is just after the start of America. And he said, so yeah, Thursday, June the 28th, 1787. And this is Benjamin Franklin addressing the Congress. I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, this truth, that God governs the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build, they build, except the Lord build, they labour in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Mm. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests, our projects will be confounded, and we, and we ourselves shall be become a reproach and a byword down to the future age. Wow. What a prophecy. Yeah. And what is worse, this is still him, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war and conquest. Human wisdom in Benjamin Franklin's eyes is God. Okay, us playing out God's wisdom in our lives. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. I love that. So, but they weren't doing it. He had to make the point that, hold on, no one's playing. This is founded upon God's word. Yeah, freedom, a relationship with God, there's a whole nation. That's what the American nation was founded upon. And even they had started following away, needed people like Benjamin Franklin to remind them that we actually have to put God first. Mm. We put God first, we will help us build this nation. So how do we get from there, in 1787, to here, where we've got the EU, and the, the um, Parliament of the EU is literally modelled on the Tower of Babel, an interpretation of the Tower of Babel. You can check it out, it's unbelievable. History repeats itself. History repeats itself. History repeats itself when mankind lives without God. You can see it. Every time, all of these old prophets, it's the same thing. Now it's the same thing. We, we complain about the world, but it's exactly the same. It's just the modern version of what happened back then. Coincidence about that Babel, South Babel and the EU Parliament? I think not. It's no, no surprise, and it's definitely no secret, that Western society has lost its faith, or in the process of losing its faith. Why do you think that's happening? If we look at the facts, it doesn't make sense to lose your faith. Why is that happening? Anyone got any good ideas while I take a slurp of water?
any good reason to it. There's not a single shred of evidence in human history that it's better to live without God than with it. There isn't. I lived a great life prior to coming to God. I had no problems at all. I had no issue with life. I've been blessed. I had a great job. I didn't really have any problems at all. Yet when I was exposed to the Word of God, I couldn't deny it. It made sense. And then through my experience and receiving that Holy Spirit changed my life, changed everything, because I can't deny what I know is true. I go back to, I often think about what I was like before, and I sometimes go back to, to those things. Like last night we had a football party, so it's a Christmas party for football. And um, those things have lost their savour, honestly. And I'm not just saying this, the depth of the interactions and the enjoyment. It was the same type of thing. It just, it's nothing compared to God. It's nothing compared to coming here and being around people that enjoy being with God. That, for me, that's such a deeper, more meaningful thing. And I never could see that before. And now I can. And nothing compares to the presence of God. Nothing. It's, it's just been absolutely incredible. Um, the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And once you've tasted of, of just, just not me, just pick a page. I mean, the depth of this, this relationship God wants us, and how far He will go to express His love for mankind is, I mean, it's, it's almost embarrassing that we're not always worshipping God and always speaking about Him crafting that everywhere. It should just be non-stop, because that's the least he deserves. Proverbs 24, 10. If you faint in the day of, day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death, and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? This is God speaking to his people. Habakkuk 1.13 You are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue? When the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. Mm. So we learn about the firm foundation. One of the important aspects of that firm foundation is communication. This is what God's saying in those two scriptures that it's down to the people that know about this, that know that draw deeply from that world of God to communicate that. We have an obligation. And someone once said, I can't remember who it is, that all you need for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. But this is before that. The, those two scriptures are a long time ago, thousands of thousand years BC. And again, he's saying that evil will prosper if good people do nothing. And there's none good apart from God, but God's living in us. So we have that goodness of God through his spirit that needs to come out. 
If we don't be that light in the darkness, no one else is going to be. God isn't going to do it himself. <coughs> That's why he has Christians. That's the whole point of it. He could. But he's given that job to his people. So we should and can learn from the Old Testament. Um, it's our teacher. We learn how God intended us to live. This is how he intended us to live. And that slow leak of faith over the years, over the generations, over that time, has got us to where we are as a, as a uh, society now. The, the reason we can get here to this point now, for good men not to do what they should have done, well, not to ensure that that message goes through to the next generation is how we get here. It only takes a few not to happen, and then you extrapolate that across 5, 10, 15 generations, and you become a remnant in your own country. A country that's founded on, it's actually not just a country, the whole of Europe is founded on Christian principles, and they exported it to the world. Now it's the opposite, it's founded on nothing. There's not a shred of God in the European Constitution. You're not allowed to wear crosses. It's the Tower of Babel coming back to haunt us. So that's why church, as a, as a group, we're redoubling our efforts in 2022 to communicate this. We've got to do it. Because it's hopeless without. The one thing about Jeremiah, let's say the, the good thing about it, the optimistic thing, is that there was hope. And he was preaching that it's not way better than and God's promised us way more than what we can see and we've had now. But you've got to get back to God. As a nation, you've got to get back to God. Otherwise, it won't happen. So Jeremiah got kicked out, and that's when the Babylonians came and took Jerusalem and basically got rid of all the Israelites. Ezra and Nehemiah are the other bookends of that story. So uh, the Prince of Persia got a message from God and sent a group of people to start um, going back to the temple and, and worshipping in the temple in Jerusalem. I can't remember how long it is, maybe 100 years or so. And the first thing he started by doing was preaching the word of God. Preaching this word that had been forgotten. Communicating it. And voidness, math grade voidness. People may not comprehend the word. Oh, we, we know the scripture. If they don't have the spirit, they can't understand spiritual things. But we also remember the scripture that God's word, when we put out, never comes back void. Whether they comprehend it or not, it's still doing the work of God. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. This is why it's so important that we laugh about the NIV. It's so important not to change the word, because it's that word. It's not our word or our interpretation of the word. It's the word that accomplishes God's purpose on earth. And our job as Christians is to filter out that stuff, especially to the next generation, is to be a filter from the world 
for God to make sure that they can be strengthened enough so that when they do go out into the world, they can resist that temptation to put things before God. That's the job of telling Never get taught that, by the way. And I've only just figured out myself. Generation after generation where the sin of the parents is meted out on the children. The children are not being taught the best way in which they should go. Because according to man, there is no best way. Every way is acceptable. That's confusion. Right? That's disorder. And that is a religion prescribed to those without the faith. You think about it. That religion, everything has to be acceptable. There's no definitive right or wrong. Speaking to Guyenne last night at this uh, party, you know, one of my friends isn't having a Christmas tree, and so I joked and said, "What well, are you, um, Jehovah's Witness, then? Because they, they, for some reason, don't have a Christmas tree." So that everybody told me, and I was like, "What do you believe in?" Oh, well, I used to be a Catholic. Used to be a Catholic. What? Um, oh, uh, I don't know. Just so, what do you believe in now? Oh, I don't know. I've got no idea. And, and, so it's not a job to ask those questions, to turn on. Hold on, you can't just ignore the fact that God exists. Well, you can, I suppose, but that ain't good for you. He's got a young boy, six months old, that is growing up in this world which will corrupt him if it doesn't get this teaching from God. No true north, no definitive information. This is a situation you get when you take God out of the equation. Without God, man has searched and failed to find any ultimate truth. Yet still, he still tries to find it. And even the randomness of life, you know, this concept of randomness and time, it, it's flawed. The brightest minds and the thinking in the world, if you look at the theory of relativity, which is held up as the pinnacle of science, it's got an enormous fudge factor in that called dark matter, which no one's ever seen, there's no proof for, but without that, it doesn't make any sense. So how desperate a man is man to try and find some explanation for it all that isn't God? There isn't any. Honestly, there isn't any. We work with CERN, atom smashing, apparently they're getting to 0 0.0001 second after the Big Bang. They can apparently replicate what life was, well, what happened then in the atom smasher? Why? For what purpose? What happens next? And most of them are Christians, because they see the glory of God, the order, even at such an incredible small level, they see order even then. And yet, it's interesting to find out, but don't put your faith in that, this machine. So, the truth is that the impact of grace on our lives, and I think this is the problem, it's a change of world view. That impact of grace changes our world view. When we're confronted with God coming in the flesh and dying a grotesque death, I think there's only two ways to go. Um, we either Try and ignore it, or it affects you so much that it changes everything. Our stubbornly, stubbornness is finally settled if we resist this clemency. 
For if we, if we yield, we are conquered by this love of God. We are conquered by that love. That breaking of this circle and cycle of sin. The only appropriate way to respond to a correct understanding of Jesus is a complete change of worldview. And this is the greatest paradox of them all. That this liberating act of free, unconditional grace demands that we give up our lives or we turn away and ignore it. Isn't that amazing? Such freedom given to us. And the impact is that we either yield our life and put God first, or we don't. Is that a contradiction? No. What's in control of our lives if we don't let God be in control of our lives? We're not in control of our lives anyway. We're all living for something else if it's not God, and therefore controlled by that. Football, money, sex, apathy, atheism, they're all worldviews, and we live our lives by those. Everybody has to live for something. And whatever that something is becomes the Lord of your life. Whether you think that way or not, that's the effect. Jesus is the only Lord who, if you can receive him, can fulfil you completely into that overflowing. And that's the kind of feeling I get when I go back into the world. <laughs> Once we realise this, the freedom is immense. It's actually a freeing. For example, we're no longer the helpless victim of society with labels, you know, we've got these labels or whatever labels pressed upon us or poor parenting that was given to us or things that happened to us. We're no longer a victim because we're all sinners. We are all sinners in relation to that free gift. And what do sinners need? Sinners need a saviour. That's the common thing that brings us together. And that, ironically, is the freeing point. That's the very thing that frees us. So if you're okay, we are sinners. There's nothing we can do about that. We know it's wrong. Therefore, we seek God. God can do something about it. God's promises do not come to nothing. God's promises do not come to nothing. So we are living evidence that God delivers on his promises to us. So God promised Abraham that he'd be a favour to all nations, a father, sorry, to all nations, not just the Israelites. Uh, and I know some of us here, we weren't born in, we're not Jews, and we weren't born into a Christian life. Yeah? We are living examples of God's promise to Abraham. All this time later, it's incredible. We stand here, sons and daughters of God, joined in the spirit, grafted in to the family. And God's promise is that is to everybody who is willing to be saved. What does that mean? We are in control. We can be in control of our lives. For example, as Christians, we're not at the mercy of the conventional medical model. We're not completely at the mercy of our own maladies. In this church, we've seen healing. We have prayer. We have repentance and prayer, as well as medicine. 
Yeah, that's so important. The choice is to enter into that, to that repentance. Someone once said that all sin is an attempt to fill this void in life. Excuse me. All sin is an attempt to fill voids. All sin is an attempt to fill that void in life. So fill it with God before you get a chance to fill it with sin. There can be voids in time, maybe you have too much time. Voids in love, voids in emotions. We often talk about the negative impact of society and the wider issues that are beyond our control. But that shows a lack of faith in God, a lack of faith in prayer. This is a worldly way of view, worldly way of viewing things. It's a worldly way to view that there is no order for how, to, how everything's playing out. The universe is order. There is incredible order at every level, the macro and the micro levels. Our God is a God of order. Order in the void. In the beginning there was a void. And God spoke order into that and created what we see. Again, we learn from the Old Testament and apply it to ourselves now. And the creator of order has and continues to love us. If we let him do what he says, order will come into our lives, even though we might not be able to see it. And the voids will be filled with that river of everlasting water. The things that we used to fill them up with, those voids, so like this, they become diminished. Solomon had this as well. He used to be a massive void, and he stuffed them full of everything he could. But eventually, those things become diminished. And they lose their attraction. If you keep working with God, they will go. They will go overnight. This is the discipline of being a Christian. Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an amazing leader of the Israelites. It's well worth looking at how he motivated and got everyone together. And what did he, what did he do? Can you remember what Nehemiah did in Jerusalem first? What did the, I think it's the king of Babylon, someone, sent him to Jerusalem to do something? Build a wall. Build a wall. Well done, Leslie. He went to build a wall. Why do you think he went to build a wall? Um, Does God need walls? No. Is God the God of wall? Because they've been broken down, haven't they? So he went to repair them. Why though? It's a man of God, sent by God to build a wall. Well, our God's all about breaking down these walls, breaking down these hard hearts. Interesting, isn't it? And this is the lesson. So Nehemiah built the wall. He got the people to build the wall. And then, once they built the wall, or while they were building the wall, he started building their spirits. He started reading and teaching. That's where why team Ezra. Ezra was the preacher and teacher that they had. And they ended up working together. Nehemiah on the wall, Ezra on the soul. And what can we learn from that? That sometimes, often, 
we have to work and adjust physical things in our lives first before we're ready to fully get on the level that God wants us to be. And God will guide us on these things. And there are lots of people going against them, isn't there, while they're building the walls like yeah. we do? Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and, and again, we're back to that foundation. Yeah. So he built a physical wall. God's telling us to build our wall is the spirit. It's the um, armory. Put on your armor of God. That's why we have that. But that's for a purpose. It's not just so you've got it. It's so you can do something with it. And for Nehemiah, it was so that the Israelites could get back in that relationship with God. Do you know what they did? Once the, once the wall was built, they started buying and selling things on the wall and they fell back into their own ways. So Nehemiah is an anticlimax as well. But there was hope. And what, what that Nehemiah thought was they rebuilding New Jerusalem. <laughs> Interesting. That's faith. We know that New Jerusalem will be built for us. That is the one thing God will do for us. Without the will of God, it means nothing. Those walls mean nothing without God working in these things. Even as a church, we have wasted works. We labour in vain. Paul noticed this when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3.10 According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds upon this foundation. For other, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if anyone's trying to lay any foundations apart from Jesus Christ, it will not stand. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Temple, eternal, God knows the difference. Spend your time wisely, my friends. Since people have said to me, they don't like the thought of sin. They don't even want to come to God. They don't even like the concept of being called a sinner. Anyone had that? Yeah. You were, were sin? As Christians, I've got to get word this right, okay, because it's easy to misunderstand this. As Christians, our realisation that we are born into sin and naturally sins, okay, from birth, it gives us great hope for humanity. It should give us great hope for humanity. Why? It's the same issue that why did Jesus have to die such a uh, grotesque, awful death? Why would God do that to his son? You had that one too? <laughs> they forget that Jesus was God. Didn't do it to his son, he did it to himself. <clears throat> Hold on. God killed himself for me. God killed himself to help me be reconciled with him. To help me have a chance of holding on to an eternal life with him. That's powerful. That changes everything. It's not just that I forget. I don't know. 
don't really know. So it's, it's that communication, but for us, this is why it's so important that the, the sin, it's so important that God would kill himself in the flesh to give us a chance to break that sin. Knowing that we could not do it ourselves. Knowing that this grace is given to us. That gift is given to us without our own works. That we could just accept it. Is how we are made free. And that acceptance could be an instant or over a lifetime. And we work out the love that God showed us. Not out of fear, out of the embodiment of God. That freedom that God gives us. What a humbling revelation. It humbles us so much that we have to come to God as a child. We've got no other way of doing it. We've got to come to God and say, wow, I might not agree with certain things in the Bible before I came. But I can't deny that. That's almost unbelievable. I'm coming to you, God. Deal with me, Lord. Deal with me. Our God could have done anything. He could have literally done anything, but he chose to sacrifice himself for his creation. So that we could be made free from our own sinful nature. That's how important we are, every single life on this planet. This is the good news. This is the incredible love that God has for us. What greater love is there than a man who is willing to give his life for his friends? then how can things throughout this modern time get so far from that? What a wonderful message. Who would not want to hear that message? Who would not want to partake in what God's given us? How do we end up so far away from God? Well, we know what is right. We have a conscience. We have an inherent ability to discern what is right and whether we choose to ignore it, that's our decision. But the Bible teaches us that there is only one good, one that is good, and that's Jesus Christ. And without him, how many are good? The further, thing, the further things move away from that, the more pain there is in the world, the more suffering, both mental and physical, in the world. And then we see this disorder, that's disorder. So you've got disorder without God, you've got order with God. And there's a process of bringing the two. Your life is in disorder, you're not putting God first. Because that God is not a God of disorder. You've got to put him first. And it might not happen now. Yeah? <laughs> it's faith that God will do what he says. But we are living testaments of that faith over thousands of years. So we can trust the word of God. It started when Adam chose to believe his wife over God. Didn't it? He believed his wife instead of what God was telling him. Easily done. Um, and to this very day, all the sin and disorder you can see are from those choices to do something similar. Our ancestors pushed this generation away from God. This is why we need to be redeemed. This is why we need to be born again. To break that chain of 
enmity or disorder or blockage between man and God. Our minds, our spirits, our hearts need refreshing, they need washing, they need sanctifying, ready to be presented as the bride, as the equipment church, ready to be presented as the bride for God. That's what God intended from the very beginning. So, make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Whatever is getting in the way, use your brain and build that wall. Okay? Because God's speaking to you now. This is in my word. This is the Bible. Okay? If the flesh will deceive you into doing things that are harmful to you now or ultimately, get rid of the negative thoughts, get rid of those negative feelings, get rid of concern, cast your cares upon the Lord, free yourself from the burdens of this fleshly world. He's given us that ability and believe that he will do it and thank him for it. The wisdom of this world, which may label you and tell you this is how you should be, and what you should say, and what you should think, is wrong. Do not struggle through life. Do not run from one fire to the next. Stop it. This is not a firm foundation, nor is it the life God has in store for us. If God doesn't prosper you, your efforts to prosper yourself is vanity. God doesn't want you prosperous. He knows what you like. Riches do not always go to men of understanding. Ecclesiastes 9.11. Let me just read that to you. I've got this here. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wines, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favour to men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cornet, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. I just wanted to end as we home in on this with a few, well, one last scripture from Haggai 1 and 5. And it goes like this. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much. How many people here worked hard and reaped very little and continue therefore to do the same things in their lives? How many people struggle with their relationship with God because they don't see God working in them, in their lives, through them. You have so much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You are clothed, but there is no one that's warm. And he, <coughs> he that earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That is madness. You didn't say that, I've added the madness. 
Go up to the mountain and bring the wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it. Build that foundation in your life. Change everything in your life if you have to, to get that foundation. Because God will be glorified. You looked for much and lo, it came for little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house, because of my house, that is weight, and you run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. We cannot fulfill our potential if we do not let God lead our lives. Do not leave the Lord out of any part of your life, no matter how embarrassing, awkward, problematic that might be. He wants all of you, your whole heart, and not part of it, and he will not accept part of your heart. He wants you to speak to him ceaselessly, to dwell in his presence, to think about him as much as possible. That's where the peace comes from. You can close your eyes and dwell in God amidst the storm. Matthew preached peace in the middle of the storm. This is how you get it. Think about him as much as possible and then, my friends, you will be empowered. You will be emboldened to speak, to communicate this glory to the world that has total ignorance about it. You will be a more effective Christian in such worldly terms. You'll be a man or woman of God. And you will receive the peace that we all seek. We all seek this peace. You will receive the gift. And the gift is a voidless life. That's the gift of God. He fills you unto overflowing. So there's nothing left to fill with sin. So there's sin lost its savour. Because the void's gone. Who struggles with this? Who suffers? Who sits there in silence and struggles? Who will leave this room and go back and not make the changes that God wants them to make in their life? Who can't even open their mouths to ask God to help? Who thinks that their problems are bigger than God? Who thinks that God, that they deserve punishment and that they couldn't even imagine that God would 